Today's show is sponsored by The Wandering Owl. TheWanderingOwl.com Imagine yourself under a starry sky, around the warm glow of the sacred fire, as your hosts Sarenth Odinson and James Stovall talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? It begins. The char cloth is laid down. The steel ringing as the flint strikes. The ember catches, spreads over the cloth, and kisses the tinder tenderly. Finally, after three long breaths, a small flame erupts, smolders, catches, breathes. A new fire is born. The flame spreads across the tinder, up on the limbs of old trees, and dances beneath the night sky. A new and yet old spirit of fire grows in the dark, dancing beneath the stars. Welcome, eldest ancestor. Welcome, new spirit of fire. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, holy one, oh, grandfather fire, born anew. Welcome, everyone, to Around Grandfather Fire. This is episode one. Uh, I am James Stovall, and my co-host and dear friend tonight, Sarenth Odinson, has just given us that lovely prayer, and welcome to our brand new podcast. Hello, folks. It's good to be back. It's good to be in the chair with my good and dear friend. Yeah, we were just talking about it for a brief second before we started, and so... A lot of you might be familiar with us from our previous podcast, which was The Jaguar and the Owl. And we did that for a number of years, and uh, we're even planning on putting some of those old episodes here as archive episodes now that we've moved over to Anchor, so keep an eye out for those. But it's been a number of years since we did that, and we had a little bit of time on uh, deeper down the rabbit hole here and there. But it's been a couple years since we did a regular podcast, so we're really excited to be back. Absolutely. And it's it's about time. It definitely feels like we needed to take that break to give that breathing room, kind of like how you give that that breathing room so a new fire can light up. Yeah, exactly. And the thing about this podcast that we're excited about is we've decided to throw open the the doors, so to speak. Um, We have spent many Uh, nights, days, hours around the sacred fire, uh, 
most notably at Michigan Pagan Fest, where we tend the sacred fire every year. And these wonderful conversations come up, and they range all through uh, various topics. We might talk about books or movies or politics, science, all these other things. And interwoven with all that is our spirituality. And so we decided, why don't we take that approach to a new podcast? And since we're moving podcasts, we decided to try a new platform. We're moving to the Anchor platform, Anchor uh, app. And uh, you'll also be able to find us on iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else. But the Anchor app is kind of exciting for us because for the first time, as people are listening to episodes, they're going to be able to put in applause. They're going to be able to leave voicemails for us that we can incorporate into the show. It's really exciting. We're also throwing open, we're, we're just labeling ourselves as a, uh, 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 uncensored this time around. So if the occasional F-bomb gets dropped, so be it. So we're going to be talking about a lot of things and how it interacts with our spirituality. So it's really exciting. Yeah, the fact that we're not just limiting ourselves only to speaking about shamanism and shamanic topics is huge for us. Because um, in, in many ways, it was a deep amount of focus for the jaguar and the owl, but it was also kind of a stumbling block. And it gave us sometimes some serious consternation as to, okay, well, what are we going to talk about and how are we going to relate this back? Well, now we can interweave all the different facets of our religions and our, our spiritual outlooks into all the daily facets that make our lives up and the interests that drive us and give us passion for all the things that weave together with our spiritual outlook so that it's not one thing in isolation anymore. And, and just like before, we're, we've got some uh, amazing guests lined up. I was pleased to find out yesterday that we actually have a queue of guests lined up, essentially, people waiting to uh, come with us and, and have new interviews. We are not sure exactly how this show is going to shake out as far as time lengths are going to be concerned. You know, I think we're probably, generally speaking, aiming for around an hour but we're going to end up probably with some episodes that are a lot shorter, some that are a lot longer. It's going to depend on what's going on. One of the most frustrating things about the Jaguar and the Owl was uh, we were limited to an hour. So we had these fantastic conversations, and sometimes it felt like they were just getting rolling when the conversation had to end. And so that is going out the window as well. We can we can really go long form with some of these interviews. And so like some of the people we have coming up, one in particular that I'm thinking of, Nick Haney, is a good friend of ours. He he writes a lot about animism, very studied in uh, in those areas, and he has a lot to say. And I want to have an interview where we don't have to get interrupted after just an hour. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, no longer having limiting factors like time is 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 going to give us breathing room. And I imagine, at least for the first little bit, we're probably going to keep to an hour, like you said. I I find it really fun, though, that we no longer have that hour-long radio constraint. Um, maybe down the line we'll do live episodes, but again, that's down the line. And the beautiful thing about Anchor being as flexible as it is, is that it's not like, oh, you know, 15 minutes cut off or what have you. It's however long we want to go and however long the topic takes to unfold. I think that's one of the, the advantages of the new format with around the grandfather fire is that we're taking that grandfather fire to heart. The grandfather fire is done when it says you're done, not when it it's, Oh, sorry. That's an hour. Now we got to douse it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Now, Sarah, um, we have talked a lot about what we have coming up 
and what we're hoping to do with this podcast, but we might have skipped a little bit of a formality. Why don't you take a second for people who are brand new to our podcast, because there's going to be new people listening. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your background and other places that people can find you online. Well, let's just dive right in, why don't we? Yeah, well, uh, you know. So, <laughs> so um, have we ever is... not? Wait a minute. Hold on. Back up. Have we ever not just dived right in? Really? That is true. Okay. Um, so I am Sarenth Odinson. Uh, I'm my main blog where I've been blogging for the last, oh, almost 10 years, I want to say, is sarenth.wordpress.com. I'm the editor and one of the authors in an anthology called Calling to Our Ancestors, which was an anthology which took four years to put together, which is a devotional to the ancestors from multiple religious traditions, including Ifa, the Northern tradition, heathenry, um, and several others. And I was very happy that that was published. It took a while to come together. Um, my Twitter handle is at Sarenth. Um, it has been for almost as long as I've had the WordPress. Um, I've been featured in uh, the Witches and Pagans, uh, originally as a spotlight on pagan music contributor and occasionally a reviewer of music. Aside from that, um, my previous work was in rendingtheveil.com. And so I've been, I've been writing and blogging for about as long as I've been a pagan, which has been since 2004. That's pretty amazing in its own right. You know, that's a long time. Uh, Anyone that's looking for more information on myself, James Stowall, you can find me on uh, Twitter at James at the Owl, or the other good place to find me is on Instagram, where you can find me under Wandering White Hat. I do have some various blogs and that sort of thing, but nothing that I've used with any sort of regularity. So those are the, the two best places to find me. We're working on appearances at pagan festivals. Like I said, we've been at Michigan Pagan Fest. Uh, mm-hmm. We're submitting classes for convocation, for Ann Arbor Pagan Pride Day. So look for us around. The main place that uh, you can associate with me is our sponsor tonight, uh, uh, the the Wandering Owl, which is a website that's run by my wife. It's our online metaphysical store, and that's always getting new items added to it. And uh, she's working on a way that you can book me for appearances, uh, fire ceremonies, house cleansings, uh, uh one-on-one tutoring, that sort of thing. I do have several apprentices, and uh, so I'm kind of always in teaching mode. I'm just looking for new ways to explore that a little bit. Yeah, and uh, the other place where you might have seen me or have heard of me is, uh, like with Jim, uh, I've done workshops and panels at Convocation here in Michigan, as well as Michigan Pagan Fest and Ann Arbor Pagan Pride. Um, Ann Arbor Pagan Pride's coming up in September, and I'll be doing more workshops at that. Um, I'm also the, the Gothi of Mimir's Brunner Kindred, which is a inclusive tribalist heathen kindred here in Michigan. All right. So tell everybody a little bit about your path, Sarah, because I know I know it and uh, I've been around you a long time. But tell me a little bit more as if it was the, the first time we were getting introduced. Tell me a little bit more about your spiritual path. What can people expect from you and your background? OK, so. I am first and foremost a polytheist. That is, I believe and worship. I believe in and worship many gods. So, 
primarily uh, my god is Odin, but I also worship all of his family um, and many gods besides, including uh, Loki, Angarboda, Sigin, and uh, Hela, the goddess of death, among many others. I am not just an exclusive to heathen polytheist. I also worship many other gods, some of which I worshipped before I came to Odin. Uh, the first among the gods who I worshipped was Brigid, and then uh, her husband Brez, uh, Apollo Lycaeus, which is the, the Apollo as the wolf god, and uh, Lupa, the Roman goddess that was the, the goddess that uh, suckled Romulus and Remus, the founders of Rome. Uh, also Anpu, Anubis. So there's a lot of different gods that I worship, and I, I believe in them very strongly as beings unto themselves. So much of my spiritual outlet comes from that. Within my polytheism is a very strong animism because, uh, to put it as clearly as I can, the world is full of gods and the world is full of spirits. And defining which is which is a matter of sliding scale sometimes in terms of how big or small they are, relatively speaking. Um, much of my, my path is shamanic. Um, and we can get into to what shaman and shamanic means in a bit here, but suffice to say that I am a northern tradition spirit worker uh, and formerly called myself a shaman for many years. More properly, I am what's called a spirit worker. Um, in our tradition, uh, the northern tradition delineates a spirit worker from a shaman in that the spirit worker does pretty much everything else the shaman does except for the shamans had the death and rebirth initiations and experiences. Um, and I serve as a go-between between my community and the gods, ancestors, and spirits. Um, that's something else that's a very big part of my life. Um, it's the worldview that I have everything reified through, that I view everything through. So first and foremost, my, my outlook on life is polytheist, animist, shamanistic, shaman, if, if you will. <laughs> and, so I'm going to turn that question on you. Yeah, he's, minute, you know, <laughs> he's very, he's very serious folks too. You should, you, I've, I've had the pleasure of being at his home and there are, there are multiple shrines and there's shrines everywhere. Uh, I've seen how he interacts with his son and the teachings that he gives, um, the prayers before meals, all these other things. We're, I want everybody to know that's listening that this is a, a man that I admire a lot because he's so dedicated to his path. Um, it, it, uh, for those of us that, that know Sarenth and had the pleasure of interacting with him, there is an incredible amount of dedication and authority to his, his words and actions. Uh, uh, a very large sense of purpose and morality. And I admire that quite a bit. So I want you guys to know that you're dealing with a, a very quality person here that also is uh, excellent in his skills with the runes. So uh, he's got a particular iron set, which is just amazing if you ever get a chance to get a reading from him. Yes, and I do offer those still. Uh, if you need a reading or if you have questions, sarenth at gmail.com, S-A-R-E-N-T-H at gmail.com is my email. Uh, you can drop me a line there, and uh, my blog offers a section where if you need a prayer request, you can make one. Um, 
this is what I live every day, folks. Uh, my gods never leave me. The gods are never far from my thoughts. It doesn't matter if I'm I'm doing my work as a guard or if I'm coming home and cleansing as soon as I get through the door. So it's it's always there with me. But this is also why I'm friends with Jim because he takes a very similar tack that I do, um, much in the same way as as he has mentioned with me taking the spirits and such very seriously. Again, if you see his house, it's full of shrines and <laughs> there's prominent spaces for the spirits. The Big old ancestor altar. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and likewise, this is a man who speaks with authority and has my deep admiration and respect. And, my gods, we met, what, 12 years ago? Yeah, uh, I think uh, 12 or so years ago, I was looking at old pictures the other day. I think mm -hmm. the first time we met face-to-face -face was at uh, Six Crows Gathering in Michigan, wasn't it? A little little north yeah. of Grand Rapids there? Yep, you're right. It was Six Crows. Yeah. I know it, right? It makes me feel even older all the time, I'm telling you. <laughs> so I've talked a bit about my practice. Why don't you talk about yours? All right, so... So much like Sarenth, I am a polytheist. Uh, I have many deities, spirits that I'm dedicated to working with. The the probably the first serious dedication I did um, as I became uh, more aware, self aware of my path. So that's where I'm going to say serious, as opposed to the things that you do when you're just trying things out. Was to Veles, which is a Slavic god of the underworld, and I've gone and had uh, relationships with many spirits over the years, Slavic, Norse, uh, 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 Hellenic, amongst others. Uh, my main path, though, I am a Paco, uh, a initiate of the Peruvian traditions, the uh, specifically the Pachacuti Mesa traditions. So these are traditions that are blended. They, they come, they're based mostly on the uh, native, the Caro people of the high mountains of Peru, uh, but it's also had some coastal traditions mixed in a little bit of ceremonial magic. There are a lot of things that have been enfolded in over the years in the Pachacuti Mesa tradition, although I do admit I am kind of one of those people that tries to reverse engineer it and see where it all came from and where the pieces and parts came from. Uh, I've also had the pleasure and experience of working with Andrea Vitimus in a chaos magic parameter. Um, so a lot of different traditions thrown in there. And and like Sarenth, I suppose, so you're going to see in the taglines that, that get used, and even how I introduce myself sometimes, or how other people call me, especially on the back episodes of the Jaguar and the Owl, uh, people refer to me as Shaman Jim. And I think we probably will talk about that a little bit more here in a second, but uh um, that is a, a title that I use along with two snakes, although that is something that we could probably bring up as a topic as well, I have to tell you. Yeah, so let's, let's like you said, let's dive right on in. <laughs> All right. So shaman is a loaded term, and you're going to see us use it. We use it in the podcast description. Um, we use it in the, the metadata. You know, We're going to talk about it and refer to it. The thing is with shaman and shamanism is that when you're looking at it with a base of knowledge, it's a very specific term. It's a term that comes from a very specific region. It was kind of co-opted by anthropology to apply as a very broad-based term. And then the New Age religions got hold of it and it went even further afield. 
So in my tradition, I am, as I said, known as a Paco, uh, where, Sarenth, you would refer to yourself how? So I, I'll have to go over the word shaman being the closest thing that we have. We do not have a real close approximation to the word shaman. Right. Um, as a heathen, you have all these different pathways you can take. Primarily, Mimir's Brunner Kindred and myself, from which the Kindred springs, takes primarily a Norse and Icelandic tack for our practice. So much of the, the words we use are Scandinavian or flat Germanic in origin. The problem being is we don't have a very good word for what it is I do. Um, we know that he, ancient heathen cultures, if you will, engaged in shamanic type behaviors, actions, and beliefs, mm -hmm. but we don't have very clear words for what exactly a shaman's role would have been. We have different words like spay or sather, which are different practices, but it's specifically different practices. Spay being prophecy, sather being seething or uh, magic work, working through weird to affect change. Um, you have hamramr, which is uh, hamramr. Ham is your, your second body, your astral body, and ramr is, is strength and being able to take that spirit body out and do things with it. Uh, primarily shape-changing, astral travel, bilocation, that kind of thing. Um, so despite my desire for a word, we don't have a direct one-to-one -one translation mm -hmm. in, say, Old Norse for shaman or spirit workers. We have folks that do shamanic things, like a vulva, a spekona, a spemather, and we can make the word spirit worker from compound words, like uh, vetir is our word for spirits, and verker is worker. So there's... It's, but it's a compound word. It's not an actual like descriptor in the sources. Right. So we have to make do as best we can um, and live in as close a relationship as we can to how our ancestors have helped us to come to understand these things. We live in relationship with the holy powers, and we need more people asking what they want. Mm -hmm. And so the closest thing I have is spirit worker because in the northern tradition that I come out of um, – we we don't have those words. So shaman is the closest equivalent that we have for what we do. And it's a, we'd prefer to have a word, but this is as close as we can get, and we're going to have to just be okay with that. So right. without taking an appropriative stance, we, we it's kind of a, we're settling for the time being until we find ourselves a better word. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. And like... Uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, people call me Shaman Jim. And so, strictly speaking, a shaman, in, in the classical sense, is someone that interacts with the spirits on the behalf of their community. Now, their community could be people, it could be another village, uh, you know, it, it could be an individual, for that matter. Um, and so, but it's not a title that one claims for oneself. So I say this with a great bit of irony, telling you and even putting down on paper or in digital form sometimes that people call me by that name because the accusation could be there that I'm claiming it for myself. And I want to let you guys know that the only reason I'm called that ever is because other people gave me that term. And so I feel obligated to accept that title 
because it was bestowed on me by the community. I've had it, individuals tell me that. I've had groups call me that. I even, on one occasion, had spirits call me that in, in a, a audible form that other people could hear. So it's one of those things where, you know, how would it be arrogant not to ever call myself that? Now, I, I do admit that it's not the name that I'm the most comfortable with, but it is on the resume, so to speak. But I wanted that's why we wanted to talk mm-hmm. about it and get the elephant in the room addressed right away. Yeah, the very reason why I began calling myself a shaman when Odin called me to this work to start with was because he demanded I use the word. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, what are I you going to do? Was, Say yeah. no? I'm sorry. I know you're an elder god and all. But no, you know how I well know that better. works? <laughs> Not very well. No, but it's appropriate. That's nice. Is it close enough to what I want you to use? Yeah, okay, you should use it. And to be honest, it took me about six months before I felt comfortable being willing to use the term. Um, I'm happy that in our tradition we make a delineation between a spirit worker and a shaman, that mm-hmm. line being that death, rebirth, initiation, or, or initiations – Right. I don't know because each person's different and each path is different within our tradition. Um, but it's not that we don't have an understanding of where the word comes from. It's an event term. It's a term used in the areas around Siberia, and it it belongs to a living culture, and mm-hmm. we get that. Mm-hmm. So we we do want to acknowledge this is a living world. A, a living world. Yes, indeed. Uh, and a living word for a culture that still lives, while also, hey, this is what our spirits have told us we need to use. Right, exactly. So you're, you know, it, it is. We admit a catch twenty two. Also, the word because it's such a, unfortunately, because uh, it was a word that's become used in the greater culture in new age circles and otherwise pagan circles and, and, and so forth, it has inevitably become a suitcase handle for people to understand what it is that you do. So it would take a long time for me to explain Paco uh, initiated as a Pampa Masayuk and an Alto Masayuk, uh, what those things mean, what those, what those jobs are like, how I can use them to help people. And it can, uh, by using one word, I can give them a handle where they can they can sort out that information a lot faster. So it has its uses, even though it has its downsides. Yeah, and the way that I generally tend to look at the word shaman is that it's a job title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. And so when we when I say something is in a shamanic context, I'm usually referring to it has to do with this job of intercession between the gods, ancestors, spirits, and or, you know, people here within a community or in human relationships with these beings. And it may be, you know, not necessarily between living human beings. It might be you've got to do some work with your own ancestors and you've got to get Mm -hmm. these two factions to stop fighting or pull their heads out of their butts or whatever. Right. So um, the shaman's job is, is multi layered and uh, 
has a lot of different forms of truth to it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so rather than dance around the issue, we wanted to bring it straight up and be like, okay, here's what we mean. Right, right. Because and, and we're, we we're have smatter. to. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that it, 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 uh, we have to. It was one of the first conversations that we had was bringing this up because it's important to mm-hmm. uh, our ethical standpoint to make sure that you all know where we're coming from. Yeah, and uh, yeah, when I when I claim the word, what I'm not saying is that I am automatically on equal standing with, say, a shaman of the Avenc people, or mm-hmm. a a Korean spirit worker, spirit medium. That's that's not the case. Um, we have very different job roles within our respective communities, and we may overlap in certain areas, but it needs to be put out there that shamans' roles in different cultures are unique to that culture. The issue we have with a lot of modern polytheist cultures is that we're still in reconstruction and revival mode. Mm-hmm. And so we're still figuring out what that means. And one that, that, and the fact that we, the fact we don't always interact, we don't even always interact with other people that are, are polytheist or animist. So mm-hmm. those bridge words become even more important, if I can say. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Because um, I've done what would be considered shaman work with Christians. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it throws people for a bit of a loop because, well... Where, where does all that fit? Well, shaman. <laughs> and it is a bridging of worlds. Right, and it, right. It's, power, it's, it's powerful work. Because yeah, I did a house cleansing just uh, Sunday, and that was the thing. It was a Christian family. and I So I, call, of course, called in the, the spirits that I work with. And uh, the land that they were on, a beautiful little farm that used to be uh, in an area that was highly populated by the natives and along a, a, a route. And um, and so I called in the, the native spirits as best I could, being who I am. And then because the family was Christian at some point in time, a lot of the calls and ceremony became uh, around angels and the higher powers that they would identify with. Yeah, I think that one of the hallmarks of our shamanic work and um you can agree or disagree with this. I think one of the hallmarks is that uh, our personal comfort with whatever work we have to do at the time is put aside because um, it's not about us. It's about whatever the the holy powers, the gods, the ancestors, and the spirits put before us to do. So if that means today you got to work with the archangels and tomorrow you've got to work with the Norse gods and the next day you've got to work with Hellenic ones, well, that's just what you do because <laughs> that's right. your job. Yeah, yeah. And we've done some real whipsaw sort of uh, weekends, too, or, or short periods where you go from doing something that's fairly solitary, and then all of a sudden you're thrust into a situation like, oh, hey, there's a there's a funeral I need to go to because someone's requested me because they don't feel like the Christian service is going to release their grandfather's soul well enough. Okay, oh, well, as long as I'm home in time to get to bed for the voodoo ceremony on Sunday. You know, I was like, what? What kind of life is this? It's a beautiful one. Don't get me wrong. But you know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. it, it could be maddening for someone that's kind of not used to it, I suppose. Yeah, and I'll, I'll jokingly call this the power of polytheism because mm-hmm. you can you can have uh, – and I, I love this term by Edward Butler, who is a PhD in a philosopher. He's a Plotinist philosopher. Um, he calls it polyvalent um, polytheism. That is many truths, many many ways of understanding the world that coexist without 
overshadowing each other's truth. So that, yes, the Loa exists, are real. So that, yes, the Norse gods exist and are real. And yes, the Christian god exists and is real. And that these things don't cancel each other out by accepting these truths. They all exist within their own truth, within their own theological framework, if you will. I think we could call it polyurethane polytheism. We lump all kinds of things together and put a pretty varnish on it. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is... I mean, I say that tongue-in-cheek, you know, right, yeah, exactly. I, know. I mean, it's like... We acknowledge that, that there's different ways of, of interacting with these gods, ancestors, and spirits within their own cultural framework. So I wouldn't approach Odin the same way I would Anubis. Right, Because right. that would be wrong. And I, and I we don't really lump them all together and put a pretty varnish on them. That that's new age. Yeah, that's, right? that's <laughs> how we're coming out. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I aligned my chakras with this special crystal. And no, wait, no, don't get me started there. We'll be here in rant mode for another hour and a half. So yeah, that's all good. And that's not to say we don't use crystals. I mean, I'm, I'm staring at the <laughs> right. selenite crystal sitting right in front of me, staring at me on my altar next to this desk. <laughs> so it's not that we don't twist a couple of crystals here and there. It's a lot of shamanism is, does this work. Right. It's exactly. very practical in that, exactly. in that <laughs> if they hold the crystal, will it have the intended effect? Will they connect with the spirit properly? Yes. Cool. Use it. We don't you care know, if it looks weird. I do have to say that now that we're in a format where we can rant and swear, we probably should dedicate a show to talking about New Age. We will. Because we kind of always have talked, you know, we've done 75% of the issue sometimes, but I really mm -hmm. feel like it needed swear words sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I relate to swear words the way that Lewis Black does. These are words that adults use so we don't pick up a tire iron and beat the shit out of each other. Because <laughs> yeah. sometimes there are things you will come across that just, it's it's beyond the pale. And you're just, what the hell is the, the only <laughs> response? Um, you know, there there are certain things that will make my teeth itch, as I, as I put it. Um, and that ranting is the only one that gets out. And this is not a show where I'm opposed to to diving deep into why a certain subject may be deeply appropriate and or offensive. Mm -hmm. In many cases, I can look at New Age and go, hey, much, much many of the issues that we're trying to avoid are perfectly exemplified by this. Um, so oh, I'm totally down for that. And I'm also totally down for exploring the flip side of a lot of the ways that we approach things and where some of the, the tender bits are at. So right. the new, the new format is really fun for that because it's not like we're limited any longer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Until people get tired of me repeating my exclamations, like exactly, exactly too bad. <laughs> That's the way it's going to be. You have to deal with it. This is it. This is what you got. God, so you are an old shaman, aren't you? <laughs> I am. I am getting older and crustier all the time, and I love it. No, the... So so at some point, being the shaman that you are, is the old man yells at cloud thing actually effective at some point? <laughs> you know, it is. I hate to admit this, uh, but it is, actually. No, I've had some interesting things going on lately, Sarah. And, you know, I is one of those, um, if we can dive off into the personal a little bit for a second, I've had a couple things come up lately that I, I wanted to... to uh, 
to mention on the show. I, mean, I kind sure. of wanted to get your feedback on a little bit, or at least you know hear your reaction to it, uh, voice to voice. The uh, the first one is you know the tag I use a lot is on, on a lot of my my uh, sites and everything is two snakes, James two snakes Stovall, and I have had that for a exceedingly long time since uh, since the days when AOL was popular. If that tells you anything. And, um, does. yeah, <laughs> and it's a, it, it served me well over the years cause it's, it, it is very unique, but there is definitely a time where I am feeling like it doesn't fit anymore. So there might be a time when these show descriptors and everything start to change. I've really seriously been starting to think about that. And, uh, the one that has been sticking with me the most because it affects my spirit and, and the things that I've been going through lately, uh, lately being the last two or three years, uh, maybe longer, the, uh, is, is, a Marcy, our friend from, from Pagan Fest. She's been calling me Birdman. And I've actually been thinking about switching over to that in a lot of ways. It's, there's, in my personal path, there's a lot of crossover between, uh, serpent energy and uh, like condor energy. Those are two spirits that I work with a lot. And in my own personal path, there's a lot of crossover between the two. And it's interesting to me that uh, spirit really seems to be kicking me to get out of my serpent phase and f- more fully embrace my condor phase, if that makes sense. So that's one thing that I wanted to bring up. That I thought you might think is kind of interesting. It is. I mean, you, you've talked at length before about switching up your names. Uh, from a northern tradition perspective, uh, when you look at Odin, of course, birds and snakes are totally intertwined. Right. He's got his ravens and the eagle that he transforms into, and he's also got the, um, the snake he transforms into uh, to steal the mead of poetry. Oh, that's Gwimlot. right. I completely forgot about that. So it's very appropriate considering you work with the old man. Right, the old man, as I call him. Grandfather Odin. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, it Um, does. It does. And it also, like I said, it it crosses into my Peruvian path and a lot of other mm -hmm. things that I do as well. So that was one thing that I thought you might find interesting. But what brings that all to mind was your question, uh, your statement about being a, you know, a crusty old shaman. The, um, (laughs) I, it is weird and I, I, I feel a little, egotistical talking about it so you know we'll keep my ego in check if you guys could but the i had a really fascinating journey uh, about a week and a half ago doing some journey work talking with a spirit that i'm really close to and i've i've had uh, the last since our hiatus from the podcast from the jaguar and the owl i've had a bit of a Oh, I don't know, a, a, a patch where I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to be working on, if that makes sense. I wouldn't call it a dry spell, but there's been a lot of mm-hmm. trying to, to figure out. And the part that was really frustrating to me, and maybe some of the listeners will be able to re- relate to this, is all the spirits I work with and all the diviners that I could talk to and all the readings that I could get all agreed, yep, the spirits have a purpose for you. Okay. And they've all agreed on what that purpose is. All right, that's fantastic. And they all have laid out a plan that you're going to follow, whether you know it or not. Okay, great. But we're not going to tell you what it is. Well, that's just fantastic, isn't it? You know, spirit does that. But finally, um, 
Finally, when I was doing a journey recently, it kind of was clued into me a little bit that a lot of what I've been working on is actually becoming the old man in a way or becoming an elder of some sort. And that it's one of those things where even if they had told me, there's nothing I could do about it. But because they're quite literally like waiting for a fruit to ripen, they're waiting for me to get a little bit older and a little bit wiser so I can better help the people that need to be helped and guide the people that need to be guided and probably appropriately get out of the way of the times that needs to be getting out of the way of. And uh, um, I don't know, it was very fascinating to me that um, very humbling at the same time. It was one of those things where it's like... uh, I don't know, I I imagine a lot of people that listen to a show like ours are going to be experienced with not knowing what's going on and having a little bit of a a dry spell or a a period where they don't know what's going on. I thought maybe maybe sharing that might help them out a little bit, and I'd like to be interested in any takes that you have on it. No, it sounds about right. I mean, the maturation process takes as long as it takes. I mean, you you know, you want to look at trees, you know. Can you pluck an apple before the apple tree is ready to bloom? Right. Um, no, you you have to deal with the apple tree in its own good time, and uh, you better be in it for the long haul, and you better have planted correctly and spaced your orchard trees far enough apart from one another that they can grow to their maximum efficiency and height. Um, I think in some ways our, our gods, our ancestors, our, our spirits cultivate us in that fashion, mm-hmm. those of us who are called to do work. And some of us who aren't called to do work, some of us who are called to do one thing and that particular one thing, and then, okay, you're done. Um, So I think that most people should be able to relate to this because even if they haven't experienced that, that track of the fallow period or the period where you're just maturing and things are just happening, um, if you haven't experienced that yet, likelihood is you will because that's life. Um, you know, we like to talk about human lives being very short, but for, for our perception, some of that maturing and and waiting can sure take a while. Um, it's worth pointing out and I'll use a lot of brewing analogies because I actually brew and I'll probably (laughs) be starting a brew today. Um, sometimes if you want to get a really good head uh, of taste for a certain alcohol for instance i I brew meat so you know you might want to leave it in to brew for longer so that it develops and matures its flavor better um you pull it out after three months you're going to have a very young mead it might be very bubbly it might be very sprightly but it may not have the fully developed flavors you want with it and sometimes it's just merely a matter of sitting in the bottle until you're done and being okay with that as okay as you can be with that <laughs> yeah yeah i'm known for my patience no absolutely <laughs> I, I think that's that's a learning curve for you especially because mm-hmm. you know you and i i think this is something that uh, is particular to folks who work with odin i find um is that he picks up people who are very driven and says okay, drive yourself until you're exhausted and then see just how far you can ride that rail until you collapse. And then, okay, now that you're done, take a break. Right, right. Um, 
That's really common, I think. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. shamanic path. I don't think it's just northern or, or people that work with Odin. I just I think that is, in particular, with people that are on a spiritual path that's similar to ours. You find these mm-hmm. periods where uh, things might be moving a little slow, but you might not realize what's going on behind the scenes or behind the curtains, and all of a sudden, you know, yay! <laughs> our, our the one analogy I like to use that some people like is the. Uh, uh, spiritual roller coaster you know and it's the endless hours standing in the maze in the hot sun and you get finally get on you go up the hill and there's a few minutes of yeah and then you start over yeah no that's pretty apt actually i mean (laughs) and i think it's it's worth noting that sometimes you're the attendant who's sitting there in the hot sun for eight (laughs) to ten hours while other people get to ride the ride you got that right and sometimes you're on the ride and sometimes Mm. you are the ride (laughs) (laughs) oh uh not sure how to respond to that um (laughs) sounds like sounds like that's got a double meaning there man i don't know it's kind of shows getting dirty i don't know no i mean sometimes sometimes the spirits take you for a ride sometimes right right you You are correct you are correct What about you? Anything interesting going on in your path that you've been encountering or working with lately? So in the midst of doing all this uh, extra work with the Kindred, um, I'm actually in in a kind of enforced downtime because I got injured at work recently. So uh, I had a shoulder injury because I'm a security guard uh, for a mental health facility and sometimes our patients go off and things happen to those of us who are paid for that. Um, so I'm kind of on an enforced new schedule for the time being where my sleep schedule is completely flipped and my days off are completely flipped too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have suddenly found myself with a lot more time because I was working a lot of overtime and now I'm not. <laughs> so much of my life for the last two years so since getting this job has been Okay, work as much OT. Okay, now take a break. Work as much OT as I can, now take a break. Um, and that's in an effort to to pay down debt and to eventually get a home uh, of our own. So now I'm kind of in this enforced period where, okay, well, you have to take time off and relax. You don't have a choice. You can't lift you know so much on your right arm. Good luck. Um, so... I'm finding between the, the work that I, I'm doing for the past couple of years, working Dionysus especially, mm. and working deeper again with Apollo Lycaos, that these two gods are coming to the fore in a very big way in my life. Mm-hmm. And so um, some of the work I've been doing, I've been uh, talking on and off with Sanyan and doing work to integrate more of Dionysus into my life. Mm-hmm. And he's actually funny enough finding places where he fits in with the northern tradition and that's slowly and you can you can see that at uh, Sanian's blog the house of vines for how some of that has slowly unfolded um so echoes of, of dionysus are coming into my life right now i'm doing a lot more ecstatic homework if you will um i'm doing uh work with uh so We've had about a three-year time skip between uh, the Jaguar and the Owl and this show. So right. uh, in in that time, I we have, acquired, a, we have a little bit of catching up to do. It'll take a while. 
Yeah, in in that time, I acquired a wolf skin, which is the the animal I identify with. Oh, right. It is powerful spiritual kin for me, with me to me, um, and so uh, this dancing outfit was made by Lupa, who is a wonderful, wonderful uh, neo shaman in her own right. Uh, she works with the skin spirits that she then produces for dance and sale. Um, but this wolf spirit and I, the connections we've been building have been echoing through the past couple of years. And so that work, that more ecstatic work, um, both self work in terms of actually going and doing talk therapy, as well as doing integrative work mm -hmm. with the wolf spirit with Odin, with Dionysus and all these other various factors in my life are starting to come more and more. And so I'm finding myself with this time off. I'm probably going to end up doing some more work with Dionysus and some more work with Odin down that path of working with the wolf, working with my wolf self, uh, working with the, the gods of these different paths, especially uh, alcohol, brewing frenzy and poetry. So <laughs> a lot of things are starting to slowly come back around. So echoes of themes that we saw about three years ago, but in a different fashion and dancing to a different tune. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I keep forgetting because it, it just seems like we were, in some ways it feels like we were just on the air yesterday. You know what I mean? With the Jaguar, the owl. It seems like it was just, it just happened. But, then I go back and look at the episode dates, and I'm like, wow, that was mm -hmm. a lot longer ago than I thought it was. Yeah, and I mean, we, we've lit a new fire here. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the joy of, of, of the grandfather fires we have at Michigan Pagan Fest and others is that we can look back and we can reminisce, oh, this, this fire this year, this was the theme, things happened this way. Um the things that I'm, I'm noticing around this particular grandfather fire, if uh, you know, you look at this new show and around the grandfather fire as kind of a new sacred fire being lit. Um, the themes that I'm I'm starting to see coalesce in my own life is refining and mm -hmm. teaching and mentorship and work on a deep level that brings all the factors of where we've been and how we've done things into hmm, how to put it deeper and more expansive than what we even may have thought they had in terms of their place in our life. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, we, we, <sighs> Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. It is kind of a coalescing of, of many different factors, isn't it? Things that are that are finally starting to come together after some time for all for both of us as individuals. So it was a good time to restart a show like this and do this work, I think. Yeah, and I mean, having that three-year break gave us a very clear, definite line between where we were when the Jaguar and the Owl ended and where we are now with Around the Grandfather Fire, mm -hmm. because it is a radically different show. And in a lot of ways, we are radically different people, because when the show ended, I wasn't doing all this deep, powerful work with Dionysus. I wasn't doing all this deep, powerful work with Odin in this fashion. Um, at the time, I was going through a bit of a fallow period toward the end of the show. Mm -hmm. And um, it took about a year or so after the show ended 
for me to come back to this place where the pr- production of the next steps could really be felt. Um, I'm feeling it in the kindred as well. So we went from, from meeting and just doing ritual to now we're doing engaged spiritual work. Right. All, all of us. So, um, this is kind of a reinvigoration period, not only for myself, but also our kindred. So we're doing not just meeting and doing ritual and reading the Havamal and the Voluspa. Mm-hmm. We're also integrating really powerful spirit practice into our meetings, into our everyday lives. So some students are doing really deep dive work with the runes and all collectively we're doing work with strengthening our, our hum and strengthening our connection to the gods, ancestors and spirits and prepping ourselves to do work with a capital W. So it's all just this theme of maturation. So, you know, and I'll go back to the apple tree in a sense, Mimirsbrunner, Kindred and all the various communities we connect with, we're all coming to these maturation points roughly around the same period. I'm noticing this as a theme, mm-hmm. um, whether it's you and your folks, me and mine, mutual allies and friends of ours that are coming into deep maturation periods in their lives. And we're all hitting at different points in that maturation process. But I think we're all maturing and we're starting to get on the same kinds of tracks. It's a theme that I'm noticing in a lot of our communities lately. Right. Now, you know, I'm going to venture that a lot of that, I I hate to say it, um, but I I do think it's true. A lot of that has to do with the world around us. I think that uh, we're all feeling the pull to step up and be better selves, our better selves, and, and, and how to interweave and interconnect our communities a little bit better you know my apprentices we've been uh working on having a few more gatherings together uh, uh, i've got new students that i'm i'm looking at i've uh, made better inroads I'm, I'm going back out and venturing into the public like i said we were putting out applications to be uh, teachers at several different events and i am Mm. I think it's a matter of, of creating a lot of those different connections and bringing those together. I think the world around us is kind of calling for that. It's demanding it. The, the spirits are definitely demanding it because they want, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a lot of this stuff goes on, especially with marginalized communities. And, and you know, let's face it, uh, even even the best of us, the uh, in a degree, you know, like you and I, we are... Uh, you know, we present as male, we're white, we have steady jobs, we've got good connections, mm-hmm. but yet we're still extremely vulnerable because of things like our, our religious and spiritual views. So, and we are the better off of a lot of our peers. So we are mm-hmm. uh, being required, I think, to step up and strengthen those community ties and figure out those times that we need to stand in front and take the shots that other people can't take. Yeah, and I, I think it's also on us being that we are in places of places of privilege within our society that sometimes our, our best job. And I think this is also part of the maturation process is sometimes we need to recognize when our voices aren't the ones needing to be heard and we need to act act as an amplification for others. Exactly. That's actually uh, reflecting back a few minutes ago when I said that, you know, becoming an elder was, is part of that is figuring out when to step out of the way. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's the proper role for an elder is to say, um, when is the time where uh, it's best to support and stand aside and let others uh, come forward and become 
come through their own maturation process. That doesn't mean that you ever stop being there as a method of support or guidance or anything else, but it's a, it's a process of learning when that step aside time is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in, in the time since the Jaguar and the all went off the air, uh, we've had the DAPL, uh, the Keystone XL pipeline uh, protests got really huge. Right. And, um, and there were people who got horrendously injured. And sometimes the best that you can do is raise those injured voices up and say, look, look at what is happening. Look at what is here. Um, I'm sure people will have noted from, from my time with the Jaguar and the Owl and into this new venture with Around the Grandfather Fire, I have a very definite curve around environmental issues and ecological issues in my work that intersects with my views as a polytheist and an animist. Right, um, right, right. So the amplification of Native voices on Native issues of Native sovereignty matters a great deal to me, not just because this is a human civil rights issue, but because the very spirits of the land that I live on, in many cases, are rallying their cries around these voices mm-hmm. coming out of these communities. So it's not merely, well, I think this is really important and this should be talked about, which is legit in its own right, even if we take the spiritual aspect out of it. But for me, it's it's deeply enhanced and um, through the lens of my spirituality that I come to a lot of these understandings and, and choices because this is what the spirits are prompting me to go toward. Or this is what my interactions with the land I live on are pulling me toward. Mm-hmm. And so, again, part of that maturation process is, well, uh, I my family's only been here for, you know, at most 100, maybe 120, maybe 150 years at best. Maybe we should listen to the older inhabitants of this place before you know, I jump in front and say, well, this is what we should be concentrating on. Um, and so I, I think one of the, the advantages we bring is that where possible we can amplify we may not be able to speak on behalf and i don't think in many ways i should speak on behalf of anybody besides my own community so when it comes to talking about you know issues of native sovereignty and things like that i'll usually just go um ask the natives because i'm not native right yeah exactly you know so when people yeah say, several oh, well, how friends do you feel i'll about point this? you in the proper direction right right you know well, how do you feel? About, well, my feelings really don't matter because I'm not part of that community. Maybe you should talk to them. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to talk about, you know, um, the spirits having their say, um, you know, what does it matter what I have to feel about a subject if the spirit of the land says no? Mm-hmm. So, um, and likewise, what does it matter that I have to say if, the people who have the strongest alliance with this particular spirit of the land. Um, for instance, we live in Michigan, so I'll just point out Michigan or parts of it. You know, what what does it matter? What I have to say on a given subject, if this is how we should be relating to the, the land around us or the water around us. You know, if this is what has been laid out and this is what we are being told by the spirits, and this is again reinforced by the native communities. What does it matter what I think? Yeah, right. You know, if I'm sitting around a grandfather fire on Michigan land and the grandfather fire says, you relate to me on this way, in this manner, you know, 
Um, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I just, I think of the grandfather fire in this context. Um, and I got to go to, uh, I believe it was, uh, the, the, uh, powwow and howl. Mm. Yeah. And one of the, the first things that, that pops into my, my head and out of my mouth when I'm at one of these things and I'm approaching a sacred fire is what's the protocol. Right. Exactly. Because exactly. it's not my protocol. It's not mine. That is not my fire. That is not my tradition. You know, um, and the, the sacred fire keepers who are around that fire, they set the tone. They set the, the, the way that I, as an outsider, am to interact with that grandfather fire. Mm-hmm. And so my piece is not to say, well, this is how I relate to it. Um, my piece is to say, what, how, what do I do? How do I do it? And please show me the most respectful way of being in the presence of this powerful being, this this big spirit, this Manitou, this Manitou. So, yeah, in that case, in in the Howell case, um, you know, proper protocol, and I, I know this from having spoken with some Native folks, is, is especially if there's nobody tending the fire keepers themselves, you offer to do running for them. Yeah, exactly. So, so even in our interactions with spirits, sometimes the best thing we can do is take care of the people that are doing their work. Sometimes that's the, the, the most we can or should do. And I think that, that shoulds are entering into the conversation a lot more now because we're recognizing in a lot of ways that in maturing, we also recognize that we have limits. You know, by very much recognizing that I have a limit now because of my injury. Right. Yeah, exactly. That'll do Whether that I, I want it or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that'll do, that'll happen. Isn't That's the other part of growing older, right? You kind of go, mm-hmm. wow, I'm not invulnerable anymore. That's crazy. Yeah. Limitations kind of impose themselves if you yeah, happen exactly. to live long enough. Um, so that's, that's where a lot of, of my perspective on a lot of matters will come out of is, okay, well, what I have to say may not matter it's really a reflection of what the spirits or what the the people who serve those spirits have said so um that's kind of my perspective on the matter wow hey we've spent an hour talking about ourselves awesome yeah. <laughs> All right. So everybody, I want to remind everybody that if you have an idea for a future show or you have a question that you want to ask, if you're listening on the Anchor app, you can send us a voicemail or you can email either one of us. Uh, uh, I am uh, found at uh, uh, James um, at the Owl on Twitter and uh, also on Google. And you can find me on Instagram. You can find Sarenth on Google. Uh, mm-hmm. And also uh, Sarenth on Twitter, at Sarenth. And so send us questions. Send us things to talk about. And we will be glad to do that. We One of the great mm-hmm. joys that we have is answering questions that people submit to us. So make sure that you do that. And uh, that way we can have more stuff to talk about besides ourselves. But we had to. It's an introductory episode. Can't Can't get around it. It's also worth pointing out around the grandfather fire does have a Facebook page. Mm, please, exactly. please like and subscribe to that page. And if, if you want send us feedback through that medium as well, because we're always looking for feedback um, because we're not just producing this show for our own, our own entertainment. It's also, we want this show to be a, a place to meet other people. 
And so if, if you have ideas or thoughts that you want us to explore or you want us to explore with a guest and you want to point us in the direction of a guest, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we glad. By all means. Exactly. You want to, do you want to end on a little bit lighter note, uh, Sarah, do you want to talk about, is mm-hmm. there anything interesting that you're reading that you wanted to talk about? Oh God. Um, let's see. Uh, I just finished reading Six Ways of Being Religious, which is a fascinating religious studies book, academic text on um, looking at the Six Ways of Being Religious as a framework for understanding religion and religious phenomenon. And so I'm I'm in the middle of writing a paper based on it for Walking the Worlds. Oh, really? Um, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so <laughs> it's kind of, it's been eating my life for the last month or two. Um <laughs> And Dr. Butler has been kind enough to kind of take me under his wing and, and work with me through the rest of the process of actually finishing it so I can publish it. Well, that's amazing. So, yeah, I, I'm very excited. And so my hope is that by December this will be submitted and accepted for the next Walking the Worlds uh, journal. Um, gosh, what else am I reading right now? Uh, <laughs> um. Man, I, I just blew through like three or four different books over the last month, so my my brain's kind of a swirl right oh, now. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, um, I've been reading the uh, the Stones of Shannara. Oh yeah, there you go. That entertaining read. Um, I have to it, admit, I got I, I the only I, I have to admit I, the first book was such a struggle for me, and then the rest mm-hmm. of the series, I I had a lot of trouble getting into. The only one were those three books that were set just before the end of the old world. And I can't think of the the name of that, that part of that trilogy that's part of the set, but it was the, you know, essentially the first of the Druids, the end of the old world. And the, that was mm-hmm. really fascinating because there was still technology around and that sort of thing. I found that really fascinating. You know? Yeah. I'll, I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest. I, I've dropped the series at the second book because of how, <laughs> thick it is and how hard it is to get through it right. um i might go back and revisit it some other time but um uh in the meantime i've i've got a boatload of terry pratchett novels that our dear friend amabron dropped on my desk oh yeah and so i've never actually read a a just terry pratchett novel seriously I've read good, no i've never read one. Oh um, man i just got done uh with uh, uh the one about trains the which the title will escape me now, and I don't want to hear Naturally. it. Yeah, you know, because that's the way it is. But uh, <laughs> uh, Raising Steam, Pushing Steam, something along those lines. But it's an amazing book because he, Terry Pratchett had such an understanding of human nature. That's what makes those books so funny is he gets people in a way that most people don't. Well, excellent. I'm looking forward to digging in because so many of the references that you and Amabron and his crew make are based in those books. And I'm just sitting here on the outside going, huh? Oh, I I can't wait. We'll talk about it on the show when you get around to reading Hogfather. Hogfather is one of my all-time favorite books, man. That is one of the best books. And <laughs> it, it touches so much on not only the human condition, but how we interact with mythology and in spirit and and how spirit and mythology shape our lives it's just it's it's crazy i mean this is a I, when it when it comes to thinking about how spirit and humans interact 
to me, it's almost like an American gods level of fiction. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and for <laughs> folks that are just starting to listen to around the grandfather fire, um, and listen to, to Jim and I talk about these things, American gods is kind of one of our touchstone books. Um, and I think that as I go through Terry Pratchett, it might well be that Terry Pratchett's also a source of touchstones for us. Right. And it's not like, it's not like these are things, there's always truth in stories, right? If that's, if there's mm-hmm. anything that comes from the old tribal traditions and the oral traditions is that there's truth in stories. And, and the nice part about stories like that is they, they kind of form another one of those sets of suitcases and touchstones where you can suitcase handles and touchstones where you can communicate things with people in a lot shorter hand. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a great series, man. I love those books. Yeah. And I don't know how deep you got into it, but for me, uh, in a similar fashion for you folks with the Terry Pratchett novels, Dune is for me. Oh, gotcha. Um, so, so a lot of, some like especially growing up in college a lot of my worldview has been maybe not directly influenced by but there's some some definite mod deep in the background um <laughs> you'll pardon the expression um the dune books made a huge impact on me when i started reading them right and gotcha. so yeah the the fiction we read does i think and I think that's also part of recognizing of the maturation process that maturation process pushes us to recognize where our influences are. Yeah. And our popular, you know, the, the popular culture we consume is part of that. And so I can look back and go, wow. Okay. Well, that's Dune's influence. Hmm. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Well, you so, know, even, even all these years later, even though it's been a long time since I read the book and it's not as popular as it once were, was, uh, uh, how many times you've heard me say I grok something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Heinlein, Heinlein. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's one aspect that I'm really looking forward to exploring is, is um, how our stories influence us mm-hmm. and, and how they push us to look at different things. Um, a fascinating look at this um, is narrative medicine uh, by Dr. Louis Mille Madrona and also his Coyote Medicine. Those are fascinating looks at how stories inform health and healing and wellness. And I recommend them very heartily. He, um, I believe he was one of the, the co-developers of the EKG or something like that. Of, wow. Uh, memory isn't too faulty. And he's uh, he comes out of uh, his father, I believe, was a, a Native American. Uh, his grandfather was as well. And so, like, his his feet are firmly planted between two worlds because he, he did his doctorate studies and at some point went back and said, okay, these native teachings are really coming up a lot. Now I need to learn more. And so um, it's been a little while since I read narrative medicine. Don't take what I'm saying here as gospel, but mm. they're, but they're both well worth the exploration because of how they work with stories and how they deal with stories and the narrative we tell ourselves when we begin the healing process or when the healing process begins for us in the midst of disease. You know, um, where we place ourselves in that story or where we are placed and where we place authority figures in that narrative matters a great deal. That's something I would love to sink my teeth into as we go along. Gotcha. I'm really glad that you had some fiction in there, though. I was going to feel bad because, you know, my reading list has never got as much academic stuff as yours does. (laughs) 
I'm always like, man, I am such a slacker. I don't know. I just can't have trouble getting through some of the academic texts, I'll tell you. I think that sometimes, you know, the, the fictions, sometimes it's uh, the equivalent of sitting down and watching some comforting television show you grew up with. And sometimes it's, wow, that piece of media really challenged my, my view on this or that or the other. Um, you know, the way that people talk about Terry Pratchett or uh, Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. in terms of widening their focus, um, you know, our, our authors, our storytellers, whether it's visual, whether it's audible, um, our storytellers give us keys to understanding ourselves and the worlds around us. And I, I think that's a very powerful notion that echoes through even the fiction I read. Gotcha. Um, I'm, I'm getting a lot more picky with my fiction. I think that's part of why I didn't connect with the, the Shannara series as well. Mm-hmm is that when you get to a certain point of you've read a lot of fantasy books, you start being able to pick out the tropes and going, okay. Yeah, right. I read that before. I read that. Okay. That's that trope. I mean, uh, tvtropes.com has kind of ruined me for that. Oh, isn't that? (laughs) I know it, right? Genre fiction's ruined. Uh, (laughs) Genre fiction, anime. um, Well, I mean, I can point to anime that are still a major influence in my life. Number one being, uh, I think, Princess Mononoke. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um that I can point to and go, that explains my worldview in two hours where it would take me days sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yep. I gotcha. Yeah. Howl's uh, my- moving castle throws in there mm-hmm. for, for fiction for me, for that, for the, the video. Uh, oh end yeah. Of it. And, uh, um, yeah. Also, so Howl's yeah. moving castle is actually a fabulous book too. If you ever get a chance is to it? read it. Yeah. It's amazing because it goes, so much more in depth, of course, as books do on people's mm-hmm. motivations and histories and that sort of thing. So it's, well, yeah. uh, but we really, it's one of those rare occurrences where I'm glad I saw the movie first because then I had a really interesting visual palette to expand on when I read the book. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I get what you mean. Um, I, I think it's a similar phenomenon to folks who never read The Lord of the Rings and then read a, read the books after they saw the movie. Oh, sure. So, yeah, right. Right. It's going to be Ian McKellen that. in their head. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what that's like because I, I read the books when I was a very young boy and very mm-hmm. precocious reader. And I was like, oh, I got to pick this up. I, I won't know what it's like to have Ian McKellen as Gandalf the first thing when you when you crack that book. Right. Um. Oh, I had a thread of thought. Oh, it was it's uh, Hayao Miyazaki's really good for adaptations. Um, and one of the others that really, uh, it was an original production of his, I believe, was My Neighbor Totoro. Oh yeah, yeah. And so through My Neighbor Totoro, that is how I got our son to understand what what land spirits were like. Oh sure, yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, I mean. As an, I, you know, I got to admit, I didn't watch that until just a few years ago. I was always a much more uh, spirited away fan than I was Mario Neighbor Tortoro. But it, but I understand where you're coming from. That is a great way to understand what land spirits are like, because that mm-hmm. that essentially encapsulates a lot of them. And I think that uh, uh, for those who've seen it, you'll you'll understand this reference. Uh, watch Wolf Children. Um, it's a it's a fabulous anime. Um, both Wolf Children and Summer Wars are fabulous, but 
the reason I'm picking out wolf children is that if you've ever grown up with kids with special abilities um, or who are spirit touched in some way, shape or form, you will find resonance with the story. <laughs> gotcha. It's a, it's a single mother raising what are essentially werewolves. Oh, and it's, yeah. It's well. fabulous. It's beautiful animation. And the storyline is just, ah, but the, you know, um, how we relate to media actually does matter because it impacts our, our worldview for good or ill, big or small. It does impact how we understand the world. Right. Right. I mean, we, we relate to the world through story. And so, um, you know, as we come around the grandfather fire, I, I think the stories we tell ourselves, which I think is part of why grandfather fire gave me that, that prayer, that poem to, to give to people is mm-hmm. because the, the stories we come to, um, in our in our our hearths, if you will, matter a great deal on how we live our lives and organize ourselves. And I'm finding more and more that sometimes my role is just uh, in the in communities is to lay out the story and then explore it with people. A lot of my workshops nowadays are tending toward that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Whether it's a uh... Uh, in my case, the the talking stick class, I think, is one of the ones that's becoming more popular. And it's all about uh, tapping into other people and understanding where they're coming from better, really. Yeah. And understanding each other's stories and understanding where we, we sit in them mm-hmm. is a very powerful piece of the puzzle of, of how we fit together and, and where potential power and and medicine if you will using the the native term lies yeah um in in our northern tradition we might call it it's where our megan or our might lies in a lot of ways is the stories that unfold it's not just that we are all interconnected it's it's how we're interconnected how we relate to each other, how we relate to our communities. It's all contained within the stories we're telling ourselves, the narratives that we're laying down with each breath, pause, word that builds up these relationships. And so what one of the, the powerful things that I'm coming to around the grandfather fire with is this very much this feeling of getting to where the narrative comes out of of telling your story mm-hmm. whether it's the, this particular work of, of fiction or um, this particular thing in the news is really big and we need to, to dissect it or hey, this spirit told me a story and uh, it wanted me to share mm-hmm. um all these things have impact and power and meaning building is, is I think, especially going forward into the world that we are living in and in the world that is coming forward, meaning building is going to matter in a way that our modern society with its very one-sided view of just this reality matters or just this reality is prime doesn't take into account or isn't very well equipped to handle. Right. Right. 
Um, and so the, the unfolding of stories, whether you, whether it's the fiction that we read, the, the comics we consume, the, the media that is in front of us, the sacred stories that are within our hearts and that inform our worldviews and our actions, whether it's the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Um, I think one of the dynamic and powerful things about human beings and about many animals is that we weave story and meaning. And through that, we come to where we are and how we are to live. Um, and so sacred stories for me are a big part of how I explain where I am and what I'm doing. And it's through these stories that we come to, to plant our feet really. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, you're talking about the maturation process and I think back to Howl's Moving Castle and, uh, Sophie, um, you know, the narrative she was telling herself was, I'm an old woman, I'm an old woman, I'm an old woman. Right, right. And I was like, I, I see through all that. But he couldn't tell her because she wouldn't have believed him. Mm -hmm. And I think to some degree, you know, sometimes we have to live through our own stories to see through the illusions that others put on us. And sometimes we have to dig really deep and find new threads of stories to change the narrative and find our courage, find our path to find a new way forward or to trod old ground so that we can bring these old lessons forward. Um, I, I think of my own students in this regard of, well, why do we spend so much time talking about the creation of story of the Northern tradition? Well, because it informs literally everything else that unfolds from that. Um, creation stories matter because it's how we place ourselves. It's how we understand where we are, how we are, what we are, what we are to one another, what we are to the universe at large, what we are to our gods, ancestors, and spirits, um, where our place in things are. Um, for me, I think it's very significant that we, that our, our, mythological ancestors our our eldest ancestor is fire itself and that our human ancestors were driftwood um i, I can at some point down the road i can go into the lord of the tradition creation story but suffice to say relating to the earth as part of the earth as part and parcel of it as being within the body of this world simultaneously being part of the body of a dead god and a living goddess. Ymir being the dead god, if you will, and um, Yurth or Nerthus being the, the, the living goddess of the earth and the earth itself. That's a powerful thing, relating to life and death in that fashion. And so the unfolding of our stories shouldn't be taken lightly, especially when we're coming together and understanding ourselves around a sacred fire. Um, whether it's here in this digital space or whether we're just, we're gathering around a hearth fire or a campfire, you know, the stories we tell matter. 
even if they're small ones, even if they're they're funny ones. Sometimes the funniest ones are some of the most incite, insightful. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Perhaps why I like Pratchett so much, to be honest with you. Oh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of the human insight that he has in, in spiritual insight is just, it's told in a funny way. It points out the absurdity of it all in a way that really makes you think about uh, how you relate to these things. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. So I, I think you'll, I think you'll see it. I mean, especially as you get in uh, to the universe a little bit more where the, the beautiful part is, you know, you have witches and wizards in this universe and they operate in completely different ways, which is fascinating, but you have all kinds of different mm -hmm. energetic and spiritual practitioners and beings and everything else. You know, you're talking about the sovereign rights of, uh, you know, what kind of human rights does a zombie have? What kind of human rights does a, a golem have? You know, it's, it's, uh, it, oh. yeah, see, right. So, there's a lot of very interesting insights into the world around us that are told in a funny way through those stories. So, Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to dig into that as, uh, as I go on. Definitely. Yeah. I, my reading list has been fairly light lately. I've been mostly doing uh, fiction. I, I'm kind of, you know, nonfiction wise, I'm kind of, I'm still digging through, uh, I've got a copy of Inca Religions and Their Customs. Uh, it was an old text by Father uh, Bernabe Cobo, and it's, I got a translated version. And, you know, uh, obviously he was a, uh, a monk that had transcribed a lot of these things that have happened uh, to the Inca and things they observed. And they're observing them through the, the Christian lens of how stupid these these uh, these people are for believing the way they do. And actually, I found it a kind of humorous a few times because, uh, you know, Catholic monks sitting there talking about how the natives are so silly for believing in their invisible God, which the irony alone <laughs> killed me. Um, you know, it's like, eh, yeah, of course, your invisible God is the only real invisible God. I don't understand these things. You know, the Inca make a lot more sense. I can look up and see the sun. I'm telling you, it's there. I've seen it every day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but um, I don't know. That's what I'm reading nonfiction-wise. Uh, uh, Fiction-wise, uh, been getting into comic books a little bit more lately. Uh, awesome. there's, a, there's a great series. It's just starting. It's coming from uh, Image Comics. It's uh, uh, Mark, Mark Miller, and it's called The Magic Order, which is really cool. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of the good versus evil secret society of sorcerers sort of things, you know, it's kind of, but it's, it's kind of old school in, mm -hmm. in the sense that, um, uh, it's, it's just a good, rich story that, um, isn't trying to be too clever for its own good. Maybe is a way to phrase it. You know what so I mean? It's not, it's just... it's not Grant Morrison then. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then I've been reading a really great book. I just picked up, uh, called the, uh, trail of lightning. Are you familiar with that one at all? Uh, it's by maybe. Rebecca Roanhorse, and it's the story of it's it's a post-apocalyptic world, and um, it, it takes place on the the what was formerly the Navajo reservation, and it's kind of fascinating because in the story the elders all started getting message from spirit that they needed to build a wall around the reservation, and they were mocked at first, especially because it's it's a current enough book where they make light of 
of the the wall that's being proposed at our southernmost border and how the the native elders were just being foolish well then all of a sudden once the walls were up the the world literally ends with the midwest falling into chaos with a huge earthquake and, and huge chunks of the west coast falling off into the ocean so you have uh, essentially the navajo nation and, and the story is set um the, the protagonist is a, a, a young woman named Maggie and she is a monster hunter because with all the things that have happened, magic has returned and spirit has returned in such a strong way that we have the literal monsters of Navajo uh, stories returning. And so someone has to fight them. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's neat because, you know, it's, it's one of those really good post-apocalyptic world type stories and, and, mm. and, and the, 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 street magic, the modern magic stories that I like so much, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a Dresden mm-hmm. file sort of thing. It's even told first person like Dresden is, uh, oh, excellent. but it's set in a completely different culture. And I, I immediately fell in love with it because it's referencing places, um, and name, uh, uh clan names and everything that were used in, uh, a lot of the, uh, Hillerman, uh, um, Tony Hillerman mysteries that were set on the reservations with, uh, you know, his stories were much more grounded in reality. They were about detectives and police officers on the reservation, uh, mm-hmm. old school type stories from the, you know, the seventies, I think through the early eighties is when he was writing them. But, um, so I immediately fell in love with it because the landscapes that she's describing and the, the, the last names that they're using and the clan names and, and even some of the Hillerman was so good about describing, even though he wasn't native, he was so good about describing some of their ceremonies. And then I'm picking up, from this book, like, you know, it, it, it's a enhanced version. It's like, what would happen if these ceremonies were real? What would, what would happen if corn pollen was as powerful as in, I don't know, putting it in a more Western mythology is silver was against a werewolf. What if corn pollen acted like that? So you'd fill uh, uh, shotgun shells with uh, corn pollen and obsidian, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, it's really <laughs> awesome. Yeah. That's it's fascinating. A, it's okay. a great story. I'm loving it so far. Yeah. For supernatural fans, it'd be like uh, loading a shotgun full of salt, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Although I've never seen that show. So I'm taking your word for it. Uh, me either. That's uh, <laughs> uncomfortable confession. The only reason I know about that is because memes are abound uh, in my Facebook feed. I am the I've meme so shaman. Much, I'm telling you, I've gotten so much of Supernatural through just the fandom reposting stuff that I feel like I probably got about five seasons in already. Um, uh, it's man. like the show that never ends. It's, it's hilarious. It's delightful. Um, <laughs> I mean, when, you, when you're talking about meaning making, I mean, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, my friend, we have been going on is a, a little over an hour and a half now. Why don't we, Excellent. if you don't mind, why don't we think about wrapping up this episode and that way we can return to this conversation around the fire here maybe in another couple of weeks. Sounds great. All right, so I just want to remind everybody, as Saren said earlier, that you can find Around the Grandfather Fire on Facebook. You can follow me, uh, Wandering White Hat, on Instagram, or jim at thewanderingowl.com is my email address, james at the owl on Twitter. And Sarenth, where can people find you? You can find me at sarenth.wordpress.com, sarenth at gmail.com, and at sarenth on Twitter. And remember to uh, uh, 
uh, review us, share us. Uh, if you give us a positive review on iTunes, Google Play, it'll help us go up. You can send us voicemails uh, through Anchor, just any way you want to get hold of us. But share the show, share it around, send us questions, and we will be glad to either answer those questions or track down people who can. Thank you all very much for sitting with us around the grandfather fire. I'm looking forward to a lot more of these. Uh, Me too. Thank you everybody for joining us tonight. Good night. Good night. What would